and welcome to the Junkyard Love Podcast. That is the new intro, if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, I'm going to leave it a minute long for the next few episodes so I get to enjoy it, and then uh, I'll shorten it and make it like 30 seconds or 20 seconds, whatever. Um, and then also what I'm going to start doing is mentioning some recommendations in the form of like TED Talks, books, articles, blogs, meditations, things that I'm always into, things that I'm always learning um, that I can quickly drop in at the beginning of each episode. Um, just something for you to look into and, and maybe make your life a little bit, a little bit better. So uh, this TED Talk today I'm going to recommend is Breathe to Heal by Max Strom. It's uh, 18 minutes and 33 seconds. It's on YouTube and it's fantastic. Enjoy the episode. Wieners? Mm-hmm. Does this sound better than before? Where's the echoey? Yeah, dude. Audio. And, oh, no, that's good. I should stop obsessing over this things because this dude. just sounds fine. This is what it was before. Yeah, this sounds, I, this sounds good. I had to dive deep and make sure that all the other things weren't tried first. So I just learned on the internet that there's three kinds of empathy, cognitive, emotional, and compassionate empathy. And cognitive empathy is how I feel. It's when you view, you can feel other people and see their perspective, but you don't actually feel anything at all. Emotional is when you see their perspective and you feel all of their emotions. And then compassionate empathy is kind of a mixture of both. It's uh, when you usually understand by empathy, feeling someone's pain and taking action to help. Yeah. So you feel it, notice it, and then you step in to somehow mitigate or solve the problem that is causing this. And apparently... You need to find a balance between these things. Finding the balance. Cognitive empathy can often be considered under-emotional. Emotional empathy, by contrast, is over-emotional. In exercising compassionate empathy, we can find the right balance between logic and emotion. Okay. Why don't you give your... What, what would you define empathy as? Can you turn that off so it's not distracting? Yes. Nice. What would I define empathy as? Uh, well, it is just feeling the emotions of others or their current state of being like in a should you always be in this state well i think that sometimes it's detrimental if you are over feeling like if you see somebody in pain and you just take all of that for yourself you can now be overloaded by an emotion that is not necessarily yours right now you're holding the burdens of others hmm that's interesting. Yeah, it's like you can't hold your stuff and everybody else's stuff. I, I think that like mothers tend to do this just because of who they are. Obviously, they want to like hold the weight of everything they can, like for their kids and for other people around them. Like that, I'm, I'm just genrefying motherly, that motherly trait. They want to like try to hold everybody else's pain. 
Um, a lot of times they can handle a lot more, it seems like, but it's not, it's not super good. I feel like we, I was telling you before this that we, uh, I think we kind of understand words like, or, or misunderstand words like empathy and being empathetic and getting them confused with sympathy and, and things like that. I think that emotional empathy or this feeling empathy I, it probably has a good side to it, but if you let it overwhelm you, or take in too much of other people's emotions, you're just going to just going to be detrimental for you. I personally have the other problem. Like I will have a lot of empathy, but I actually won't feel any emotion, which is you just be a stoic weirdo. Yeah, which I feel like is more of a dude thing. This is a very overgeneralization, but let's say masculine energy. Masculine. It's more of a masculine thing to do yeah. is to if you're going to be empathetic, you understand the situation see it grapple with it but don't actually internalize any of it which leads to more calloused responses but on the other end if you're going to overfeel it is equally as bad for a different reason i'm sorry to be touching this can you elaborate more on that well like, I, give me an example of, of which one of of someone doing exactly what you were just saying okay let's say one of my friends they um I guess they just lost a loved one, and you understand that this is this is sad, but you have a very hard time emotionally comforting them because you just don't feel what they're feeling. You haven't allowed yourself to, which this happens to me a lot. That was a very extreme example. Death is, of course, but that, no, that's a good black, you know, yes, simple, large magnitude of events. But I run into this a lot. Like, very highly empathetic, but I am very extremely bad at comforting people because I just don't have, I don't share their feelings. Do you think it comes across as, like, you not being sensitive or you not, um, sometimes when people aren't sharing exactly what we're feeling, they see it as, like, are you heartless? Like, how are you not feeling exactly what I'm feeling? How is this not terrible? Yes, I mean, I've been characterized as not being sensitive even by myself mm. so i feel like there's a balance between these two things like in order to be a more effective person in interpersonal relationships you definitely need to feel someone's emotion but you can't let it overwhelm you because it's i mean it really isn't your it's not your emotion to be feeling in the first place right yeah we can't just walk around just taking other people's emotions but yeah, what are your experiences with this I don't know. I th I think that I I feel like oh this chair again, man, this chair. Uh, I feel like that I that I used to have trouble absorbing things. Um, it, it would overwhelm me. Like when other someone else was going through something, um, I would feel what I would call like oh so much humanity for them, so much um, um, sympathy, so much empathy, whatever it was in my brain. Like I would, I would almost feel it too. Like they're crying. Like I want to cry too. Like, oh my gosh, it must hurt what you're going through. Oh, I, I, I want, you almost want to like force your emotions to understand and work out what they're feeling just so you can like really sympathize with them. And, but sometimes it's, it's bad, you know, if you, if you can't really learn how to sharpen that tool and, uh, you know, sometimes you get overwhelmed with, with other people's emotions and it, and it mixes in with yours and you're kind of like unsure of what you're even upset about. You just feel out of control in a sense. Do you think that's led you to be a more emotional person? Um, 
I think I'm inherently more emotional. Emotional. I think that um, if we're talking masculine, feminine, I think that I'm probably more feminine. I think that um, just like the nature of my upbringing, right? You know, and I have three older sisters. Um, I lived in a house with, I think, seven to nine women for a couple of years at a younger age. I think I'm just more, more. Yeah, in, in touch with my emotions seems like the worst sentence to say in in the thing here, but I don't know. Well, let's start with that. Let's start with that subject there. Spencer, welcome to the Junkyard Love Podcast. That's the cool thing. When I lose a train of thought, when it's your podcast, you can be like, well, here, I'll put the intro. I'm going to keep that beginning, too. Good morning, Jacob. Good morning. Um, I am... I'm glad you came over today. I have been a little under the weather with the weather. I've been under the weather and uh I I think it was what did we decide it was gastric gastritis gastro I don't know I don't you just sick. We we just sick. You just sick. Essentially um I've just not been feeling super great and it's not good. So obviously um it's 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 cool to notice not cool, but it's interesting to notice when you're sick, your body's sick. Your, your brain immediately sucks, dude. Like, you can't just, like, read your favorite book. You just want to watch super mindless stuff and not even lift your head. Um, and that just tells you. It's just a reminder of, like, man, your body is so connected to your brain, your thoughts. Like, the the fog that I've had the last couple of days. Like, I just, I'm like, man, I have, like, six podcast episodes to edit, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I just, like, pretty much just smelled my own farts and, up, like, uploaded one episode. That's about it. The last four days, three days. So, anyway... I'm feeling better now. I'm not um, just crying in my own tears of self-complaint, which is what I tend to do when I'm sick, and that's awful. So if when you're sick, listener, if you just complain a lot, just notice that you're doing that and don't do that. That's a note to myself a couple days ago. Spencer, we had a couple things we wrote down. Would you like to jump right into this? Well, empathy was one of them, if you want to elaborate on that, or if we covered that. I think we covered that. Okay. I think it is important for people to know empathy. Let's just end with that. Why is it important for people to know empathy in this world, like in this weird navigating society we have here? Well, you need to be able to relate to people and where they're coming from in general to actually develop interpersonal connections and have quality, not one-sided conversations and do you feel when we misunderstand our empathetic mind and body, we we instead actually just share their feelings? Like we're 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 comforting them by like, okay, you're sad, I'm gonna feel sad too. Like you're gonna jump off the bridge, I'm gonna jump off the bridge with you. Uh, are we are we just joining them in their feelings sometimes instead of like understanding them and really helping? Like, what does this person need? They need comfort, of course, but sometimes I think we just immediately match their feelings. And sink right into that, call that sympathy. And I think that's not super good. Yeah, I think that you should feel it, but then take actions to try to mitigate it. Like, if you can help them, do it. But, right. I mean, you can't necessarily relieve the burden of someone's emotions by feeling them as well. It might make it worse. So we're just all wallowing. Yeah, So I agree. I mean, if on an ethical level, if your goal is to reduce the amount of suffering total, which I've deduced that that's what I think everyone's life decision should be or at least mine you in turn suffering because someone else's is not reducing that even if it does sound selfish you are increasing the suffering so if you could find a way to reduce everyone's suffering it's going to be the most ethical and helpful 
Right. Yeah. If you just look at like if there's a certain level of of suffering total in the room, like don't even think about you or the other person in the room. Just think about the room itself, the suffering in general in there. Are you going to go add to it or are you going to go take away from it? How about that? Less would be good. Less would be good. I'll take less. Let's do less. I want to talk about projection. Projections. Oh, I I like projectors. I got one one time for Christmas. They're very bright. Mm -hmm. What I noticed, I was at a concert last weekend. Was it Led Zeppelin? Nickelback? Yes, both actually. Okay. Back to back. It was great. But, so, it was an electronic concert and people are pretty uh, boisterous there and they make some pretty bold fashion choices. I saw Man of Thong. And I was just like, super cool with it. I'm super cool with nudity. I think that everyone should be more cool with it. But I was thinking about how people would perceive that in accordance to how, if they would do that or not. So if you're a person that you would do that to get attention, you would assume that they're doing that to get attention because you're just projecting your shit onto them. But what if they're not? Like, this is not a, uh, it's not a truth in the world necessarily. Like, we don't, as humans, you only navigate you so you don't have true empathy so you can't 100 percent live in someone's shoes and understand all the way why they do things especially not off just seeing them so we kind of as humans if we're not careful just wander through the world and project all our dumb bad shit onto other people do you, i i think that a lot of people don't realize that they're doing it like like when we're when you so you said you're like i noticed that i was Uh, like I noticed that I saw this man right and then so did you immediately judge him in a negative way or not you didn't see I don't care about it like I've I've gone to a lot of these things and I'm very like fluid and open so it didn't bug me but I did think about I don't know it just sparked a thought like this is a very uh, flamboyant way to dress and I Mm -hmm. would assume the reaction from some people would be like he's doing this for attention but you can't surmise that and the only reason you jump to that conclusion. I mean, of course you take like real world data and you know some people do that, but you also are projecting yourself onto that. Right. And in arguments that happens, like if some people, you notice when pe- like angry people, people that have a temper, they will project a lot of their anger onto other people as well. Like they assume that, or people that are spiteful, they assume pe- other people are doing things to them in a spiteful fashion because they might be they might do that as well and you kind of just get in this you assume because all you have is you to judge or you to go off of that other people are acting in ways because that's the way that you would but that's not necessarily true and i don't know i didn't come to a conclusion on how to deal with this i just had a large epiphany about it mm-hmm. because we can't actually have true empathy like you can't live in someone else's skin so how do you how do you mitigate this and I guess judge less would be the conclusion. I think, I think that the the big thing there is like just the fact that you noticed it and then just continue to no, notice it. So if it's noticing that you're judging someone and then asking yourself like you know what what you did like um, you you happen to notice oh this is where other people would obviously judge and you wondered why to yourself. Um, I think that when you see anything that anybody else is doing, and you There's a different state of being than walking around, doing what you're doing, enjoying your life, smelling your own air, um, uh, like seeing the things that you want to see with your eyes, and walking around having judgments about people, um, whether they're good or bad. 
there, there's a way of going about your life where if people are just walking past you. You're not noticing a man in the phone. You're like, that's just a dude who's doing something other than what I'm doing. And you just, he keeps going. He doesn't even interrupt your thoughts. So judgment almost interrupts your thoughts. Like it takes you out of what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to walk to the bathroom, what you're trying to do is walk to the bathroom, not have six different judgments about six different people who are wearing six different color thongs. Um, these are things that of course you got to look around and you could enjoy your life because if you're in the right perspective as you're walking through, you can say like, that's wonderful. That guy's doing that. That's cool. That girl's doing that, whatever. You could even talk to them, interact with them. But I think that some of us are in a weird, maybe I'm flipping the words parasympathetic state, but we're, we're in a, wait, it's parasympathetic fight or flight. Uh, parasympathetic is eating, sleeping, meditating. Okay. Deep breath. Sympathetic is a fight or flight nervous, nervous so system. So if we're in a sympathetic state. Let's say you're all jacked up. You're Just you're like, walking around kind of you're judging people because it, it's a do you think it's maybe like a defense tactic? Like I think that there is a internal want to be normal and then shun other things that aren't normal. So if you see something that somebody's doing that you don't deem as normal, like it's it's comforting for you to go to the guy beside you and hey, like look at this dude. Like this mm-hmm. guy's ridiculous because now you're staying in this tribe you're staying with the humans you know like these people are accepting you you guys are bonding together on a Mm -hmm. ridicule or a hatred of this person because of this one thing that you don't even know the actual origin of because i mean they always say that hate's more rallying than love and i think it's just because it's easier it is it is it's weird we think that we need to yeah it's imagine being in a like this is your group you have 150 people 150 and you lean over to number 32 because you see number 58 he's wearing the gold thong and you're like hey 52 look at this guy we're hey we're still gonna do the shirt and tie thing right right and he's like yeah that guy's an idiot and you're like okay yeah we're still doing a shirt and tie thing right like you're just making sure essentially like if you break this down to super primitive bullshit seems like you're just making sure like okay we're not all gonna do that because that if i was doing that that would mean this that's what our brain is actually thinking, but we bring it back into this confused terminology of, I think this thing about this person because this. You're just affirming yourself too. Yeah. In a not so healthy way. I mean, I got together with a bunch of, of my friends that I've known for a really long time, and it's very easy to just like slip back into being a shithead, you know? You start mm-hmm. people watching, you mm-hmm. say, ha ha ha. And I noticed it, and it was, even after that, it was just, I kept doing it. Like, you just go and people watch. I find myself people watching a lot of concerts, depending on who I'm with. And I notice that when I go off alone, I have much more, I don't know, just a much more, like, peaceful, like, relaxing, more intaking. I guess I'm just more aware, but not as judgy. I'm not around all these people that I'm close with, and I think that might be some to it. I don't really yeah. know how to conclude that, but Could, I, definitely, yeah, I, mean, I definitely feel more judgy when I'm with other people than mm-hmm. I am when I'm alone. Like, if, especially at like a DDM concert, because it's just fucking ridiculous. Like, right. it's just a spectacle of people and personalities, and there's so much to look at. And it's so easy when you're just like with your friends, like, hey, look at that guy moving like that. But it's right. actually none of your business, you know? Like, it's right. actually not what you came here. You came here to like listen to music. Right. And I think that it pulls pulls you out of it. I agree. I think camaraderie is super important, but I mean, we do got to watch ourselves though. Like, oh, what am I getting pulled into? Like, let's not 
let's not go five days into being this just like crazy gorilla dude if I don't really want to do to be that person overall. I mean, there's certain places where you just got to like let go and just be a dummy sometimes, I think, but be respectful about it and, and, and be in your own world, I think. It was great, though. I had yeah. a good time. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed just like being a little shithead for a while, hanging out with my friends. Yeah, you talk about how, because um, you you do like your alone time, but you say you're an extroverted person. You are an extrovert? Yeah, I'm extremely recharged by people yeah. in general, but I also am recharged by being alone. Like, I need a 70-30 balance of this. Like, 70% of the time, I really like being people around people. I really like, when I speak out loud, like, the exertion of it, I really enjoy the feeling. Mm. It makes me feel very good. And I like to help people as well and just, like, talk about stuff and convey ideas. So interactions like that I really enjoy, but very like common interactions you have with people you don't know, I really don't enjoy at all. That it's just like a nagging harassment on being alive where it's just not, <laughs> it's just not helpful at all. It's just, it, it just doesn't get anywhere and everyone knows the dance like, hey, how you doing today? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And then you don't actually have anything that you know about that you have in common yet and it's just... Or it's somebody that you're fully aware that you're not going to get necessarily along with all the way. You're not on the same wavelength. I mean, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those just suck the life out of me. Do you think like when the other person's not like aware of the non-dualness in the in the conversation or the or the the dualness in the conversation, like they're not aware that they're not your best friend or something? Seeing those situations. Uh. I don't know. It's more just like if you've got, okay, let's say you work somewhere and there's just like a customer that comes in sometimes and that you like kind of know them and they just, everyone's been held hostage by like a high, someone they knew from high school that they knew kind of, you run into at the grocery store and you Mm -hmm. guys both because of social norms and being polite just get like locked into speaking together Mm -hmm. and both of you know, it's like, hey man, do we want to go? Right. This is rough. I mean, I really do. I really wish you well, but this is draining of my time and energy. Mm. And I know it sounds super rude, but I feel like this is a really shared experience. No, it is. I, I don't think it's rude. I think if it was one-sided, but I think a lot of this is two-sided. Yes. And the two-sided is not like, dude, I don't want to talk to you. It's just like, let's just break down this barrier of like, we need to act like we've been long lost best friends and all these things. Like we could, you know, I, I am always like very happy to see people that I haven't seen in a long time, but there's a lot of like, you know what this is and I know what this is. Like, I haven't seen you in forever. I do know you exist. I don't know your name. That's okay. We used to hang out. We maybe have a number hung out. I think just like taking things for what they are instead of treating every single relationship exactly as this one baseline, you know? I would be super stoked to see people if uh, that was just the norm. Like people Mm -hmm. that I only kind of know, like, hey, man, like, how are your kids? Yeah. Like, how's your life going? Like, oh, awesome. And I hope you have a good day. It was really good to see you. Right. Gone. Like, if you gave me a button and you a button and we were just like, kind of friends at one point in time like seven years ago right and that button would allow us to abort the conversation without anyone knowing you would press the shit out of it yeah like, make it rain. like way way before the 30 minutes of hanging out in safeway i i think that i think that a lot of times our conversations get a little weird because of social media yeah i'm gonna go ahead and blame social media for something else right now uh so being off social media, I wasn't caught up on people. So I don't know who's pregnant. I don't know who isn't pregnant. I don't know who just got married. 
I don't know who dyed their hair purple. Um, I don't know hair like it, it. So these things and they, they seem like things that you don't really lock in. Like as you're scrolling, they're kind of just like quick, like, man, okay, that person, that person. And it's not that you don't care about these people. Like these are your distant friends. You're like, cool. It's, it's nice to know this information about these people. But then when you see them, you're almost left with nothing to talk about because it's not a surprise. So like when I was off social media, like if I saw somebody in the grocery store, I haven't seen their face. I haven't heard of them. Like I've been so into just my own world. Like you forget this person exists completely. Like I'm not kidding. You, you think it's a different, I've been so connected to social media for so long. It's it's like a different thing when you completely forget that these people even exist. And you see them and you're like, oh, dude, what's up, man? Like, how are you? You get a quick, you know, you get five minutes. They tell them that you hear about their kids. Um, you get reminded of their kids' names. Um, there's all these things and you walk away just happy as a clam, say, in the grocery store. I, I think that social media and feeling the need to stay so connected at all times, because this is something we all got so connected but we didn't like, like, should we always be connected? Is that super good? Um, I, I think that it makes these little conversations more weird. We're like, do I address that? I know you, do I say that I have you on Facebook? Do I just bring up what you most recently posted? And I talk about that. Do I apologize for not liking your post? Because that means something. It's a weird thing. I, I, um, I, I don't know. Anyway, what I'm rounding about is I think that not having social media uh, makes it toward these conversations where you do bump into each other. It's never the bullshit. It's like, you know, I, I don't have to, you know, sometimes I'm not my 100. Like sometimes I'm really just not in, in the best conversation mood, but it doesn't mean anything inherently. And if I do run into you, um, I, I think just letting that genuine wonder and genuine thing pop up of like, I'm not trying to not go see someone at the store. I'm not trying to see someone at the store. I'm not even thinking that this person exists. These people exist. I'm living my life. And then if I do bump into this person, what a joyous occasion that I can, I can, I can represent and deal with when it comes along. And I'll tell you that most of the time it's, it's been great. It's been genuine. It's honestly like, I'm like, dude, great to see you. It's a hug. It's a, like, I, I don't know everything about this person as I just walked away. They didn't have to give me all of their Facebook updates for the last year in, in a printout, and I had to read it while they just stood there in front of me. I just had a conversation with them, and that's all that it was. I think on the flip side of that, too, though, I would say it's kind of contrary to what I just said, but 50% of the conversations I end up having I really do enjoy when I run into people, and I end up, mm-hmm. this is kind of why I despise it, too, because I will actually just, I value just personal interaction a lot so i will spend way more time than i have speaking to this person so now it's all it's it's never that helpful for me because if i want to talk to him i end up talking too long and i don't have the time to but then also with social media you're secondhand connected to a bunch of people you wouldn't normally know so and you're like weird twitter friends with them you know right. like you like like their posts and you reply to each other sometimes when you never meet them but then if you run into them, you feel this weird pressure. You're like, I know this person? Mm. Kind of. It's like, I don't at all, though. But we're about to talk for a while, and it's not yeah. going to be super comfy. I, yeah, I, I think treating that as, it, honestly, I think as simple as like this conversation here, Spencer, like just noting it. Like, hey, guys, this exists. It's okay. We can like, it's not the end of the world to be kind of awkward for a second. And then just like, maybe you're going to stumble over like, hey, Cynthia, that's your name, right? Like what? And then you could just be like, oh yeah, okay, I don't know you totally. And then you just go on to whatever conversation happens. Like, don't let that awkwardness represent who you are. Like, don't be nervous. Because I find myself, um, 
uh, you know, social anxiety uh, really kicks in for me a lot of times. I get very nervous. Uh, the, the question, you don't remember my name, do you? Like, like someone saying that to me is, is it, it breaks my heart because I'm like, please, um, it, well, not, not as much anymore, but it used to, because I'm like, dude, like, that's not who I am. Like, I, I don't, I don't mean it like that. I just have a lot of other things that I'm thinking about. Um, I didn't fully remember your name. Like, there's so many different reasons. It doesn't mean that I dislike you or my interactions with you are not genuine. Like, I, I try to be present and, and mean what I say when I'm looking at people and, and interacting with them. It's not bullshit, but that doesn't mean that I can remember everybody's name those sort of things. So I think this, man, addressing, like letting those things be in the air, like for our age people and just be like, dude, it's fucking okay that we have weird relationships with people because of the internet now that are extended for maybe longer than they would have been before. And we can keep them as that. Like we can, we can deal with them as they come up and act normally. Life's so weird. We live in a very odd time for communication. Yes. I, re- I really think that it's mm-hmm. just we communicate so different than any other g- generation before us and it leads to a lot of it. I mean because there's no rules in any of this you know mm-hmm. communication was pretty dialed in before the internet like everybody yeah. there's a system everyone kind of knew how to navigate it it's been going on for thousands of years and then all of a sudden boom, we're just all all this hive mind together mm-hmm. doing this big group think but we don't actually know how to speak to each other at all. Groupthink, hive mind. What do you mean by words like that? So hive mind is like a big collective brain of thoughts, and it's kind of what the internet is. It's just like this collective consciousness of bound together brains creating one singular, well, one singular brain, like a like mm-hmm. a hive of brains. So like a hive mind. Do you compare it to uh, bees? Bees are obviously a hive situation yeah i mean they essentially all well, they use like pheromones and sense to all communicate together but they work in unison essentially mm-hmm. towards the one bigger goal to bring to 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 pollinate the mm-hmm. yeah to uh, survive and whatnot right so so we're hive mind we can have hive mind now especially because we're all connected to the phone the phone is touching our body at most times of the day I mean, it's really just an extension of you mm-hmm at this point like your social media is low-key an extension of you whether you like it or not i mean that doesn't mean it portrays you and i actually grapple with this a lot like what is even the utility of of this this thing well i i think a, a good, even farther than that is do we even all have to have social media like why do you have social media it's a super good question to ask yourself i think about this all the time like whenever i look at it like does this like, what is, what's the goal? Like, I've talked to everyone that I like to talk to already. Like, why do I need this? They, like, all my friends see all my photos because they were there most of the time. And the thing that I put up here and the image that I create on, especially Instagram is the worst. It's the most curated, vapid, face value nonsense out of all of them. Because at least with my favorite. It's also my favorite because it's, it's pretty and it's got pictures and it's like, hey, look at me. But like this doesn't actually portray who I am or any nuance of my being. So it's it's like a shitty advertisement for you. You know, this is not this is just not you really. It can't be even like, especially if you keep pictures for a long time. Like the pictures you posted two years ago, you probably cringe at really hard. And I do when I look at my social media. I'm like, this is not who I am at all. Like, I'm really, like, the caption that I put here, I don't like. I don't like this photo. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like how this is portraying me. Like, this whole thing is like this, though. And I feel like a lot of people, 
also feel the same, I would assume. Like, this is just not, this is not me. Why do I have this? What's the utility of this? I mean, it kind of blatantly shows what what we're doing here anyway, though, if you think about it. Like, what what is any of this you? Yeah. What is... I guess it's the same about projecting yourself, though. I mean, it's just like an ultra projection of you that's way more concrete than you actually projecting yourself to the world that more people can see. I mean, it's just an extension of the absurdity of being alive. You think that we're we're obsessed with wanting to preserve these things? We're, we're obsessed with saying, like, no, no, this is me. Um, it's our ego mind, like on the internet, say, saying this is as much me if I make this person this person. That's who... If I make this person on social media amazing, oh, then that will be me. That's me. Absolutely. Okay, when I was in middle school, I was a small kid. I was like, I was popular. Got along with everyone, but I went to a small school. I knew everybody, and I wasn't like that guy. It was always just, I never felt that I got a lot of social attention, even though I, I probably did. I got way more than a lot of people, but I was never like, I want to be that guy. So you get social media, you only post the pictures of you at music festivals, pictures of your car, pictures of you lifting weights, mm-hmm. just like all the stuff. It's like, yeah, look at me. It's never any of the vulnerable moments, never you being sad at 4 a.m. It's just the perfect projection of your highlight reel so people say that you're awesome. That's what it was for me. I just want people to look at me. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what Instagram is. Dude, look, look at look at what this. Dude, it is. Remember in high school, you ever have like those end of year slideshows? Like someone just makes some like, it's probably like Good Riddance by, by Green Day. Nice. Um, and, or Sixpence Kiss Me even in some cases. Um, and it's just like, what, what we're trying to do with social media is we're just trying to have like a, a, a slideshow that's going all the time. And we're trying to make that represent who we are. And then it's like, do you need a slideshow? Why do you even have a slideshow? Is this... You're getting validation from people you don't care about. But but how do we realize that that's, that's what it is? You know, th- like these are, we're being fed our own insecurities in a way sometimes. It just feels good. It's comfortable to just put all your stuff on the internet and be this person and flex super hard. Because mm-hmm. it just doesn't show the vulnerability of being alive. And we kind of, I mean, you see it in rap culture. You just champion being like balling out, like being that guy. Like it's very boisterous and in your face. And I feel like our generation was really like growing up on that as well. So even before social media, like the urge to be looked at was present in pop culture. And then this comes along and it's time to follow what we know. Like all these cool people Mm -hmm. that we idolize is what they do. They just flex as hard as they can. Right. Well, I mean, you notice a lot of them now, though. I mean, within the last probably two years i mean you've probably seen it in in different ways too even just following like even the the edm guys like a lot of people are uh, are unwinding a bit more and kind of realizing a lot of the same things like wait what is this like even famous people are like this sucks um like like you know logic toxic extensively in some of the h3 interviews about like um social media like mike stud has a podcast now and him and his boys mentioned that towards the beginning um chris drama pat who uh rob deardex cousin like he's got like spiritual shit and they talk about like social media and how it um like in in how they wanted to post all their cars money clothes and hose dan blazerian even um, within the last year has talked about like dude if i'm on social media in in two years kill me or something which is an aggressive dan blazerian blazerian thing to say but he can do whatever he wants um it's interesting i i think that 
the the truth of the matter is of, of what I what I'm always trying to boil down with the social media thing because it's kind of like just why do you have it? You don't need it, um, and it's it's not incredibly beneficial. Um, it it is a it is it's a hobby. It's a it's something you do. You know, like some people um, on on their free time when they're on the couch they look up the latest uh, golf balls that came out because they're a golfer and they study extensively about that or they have they follow a subreddit about golfing. Um, they find some app about golfing because that's their passion. But what a lot of us do now, our hobby is following social media. Our hobby is now social media. Our hobby is making sure our slideshow is pristine and mean at all times and we build our life around it. I just, it's cool and it is a cool thing that we can do. And there's like when it comes to the business side and the monetary side of all these things, it's so sick, but I think that it's capturing us in ways that we didn't realize. Again, what you're just saying, like uh, the, I guess just realizing why we have it. Like, like we, we've always had it and it's like, of course I want a social media. It's cool. But then a couple of years later, you're like, wait, what did I, why am I, why is this? What is this? Why are we doing this? What's the, what, why is this worth all of this time? Besides these this little little doses of happiness here and there, how is this good for my overall life? Is this something that I want to choose to use? So. We even take a step back from that and ask, why do you do anything? Like, just start analyzing your life. Why do you do stuff? Yeah. Like just all the little habits you have, all the little things that you decide to put time and effort into. Like, why do you do them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what, what are they leading up to? Yeah. And if, you, if it's just because, yeah, I like it and it's a healthy thing for you, yeah, keep doing it. I don't think social media is all bad. I think there's a healthy way to use do almost anything, to be mm-hmm. honest. And if it doesn't detract from your life, you manage it well, and you really just use it to communicate. Excellent tool. But I, the way it's literally designed to not be used like that, it's just hyper-addictive. It's trying to sell you stuff. It's really colorful. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of keeps you in this, like, he said, she said, gossiping kind of mindset because you just start looking at others. And you're either talking shit or feeling bad that they're doing better than you. And I feel like that's how most people are. Social media is never actually emotionally detracted from me. It's it's actually, it makes me feel good. That's, I'm on that side. Like, right. social media reaffirms the shit out of who I am. But a lot of people I know are really detracts from their life because they just feel bad about their current situation. And I don't think that's good. Do you think... Do you think that being on Facebook, when you wake up in the morning and you check Facebook and you see something that you really don't agree with, is that enough to activate your your fight or flight? No, but I do think it really impacts uh, your day because when you wake up, you're in such a sensitive state to information and just your brainwave state is just really receptive and you're just a really sensitive being for a while. So people are often really grumpy in the morning and really like emotionally fragile and, and just... I guess just soft, but if you wake up and you just get blasted with whatever there, some someone's trying to tell you, it's mostly negative because that's what gets clicks and sells stuff. I don't think it's helpful. I stopped looking at my phone in the morning, and it's made my life a lot better. Like a lot of people will just sit and scroll for forty minutes. Okay, here's here's what I mean. I'm gonna I'm gonna expand on that uh, that question that I asked you uh, with an analogy, of course. Uh, okay, so you're in your backyard. Uh, it doesn't matter if you just woke up or whatever. You have your phone in your hand, and um, your heart rate is slow. And your wh- which would be in, in what 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 rate would you be in if you, your heart rate's slow and you're calm, you're thinking clearly? Uh, probably parasympathetic. Okay. Nervous state. Okay, and then 
uh, you're chilling and, and you're fine. You're not really thinking about much. And then corner of your eye, a wolf approaches you in your backyard and it's, it's far away. What happens then? You're in this calm state and your heart rate's going to go up, right? Your heart rate picks up, your breath rate picks up, you become more acute, you feel your adrenals dump, so you become tense. Okay. You start to lock up. And you're thinking, what am I going to, like, I got to like, figure out what to do next. I have to run from this wolf. I have to fight him. I have to lay on the ground and put my head tucked in. I don't know what to do with wolves. I haven't read about wolves, whatever. Um, and in, in the same sense, while these things are going on, you're in this, your, your heart's elevated. Um, you're just thinking of how do I survive this situation? Well, during those times, I would be willing to bet, and I think you'd probably agree with me, that your fingernails, the process in your body that makes your fingernails grow, pauses, stops, because you're prioritizing other things. It's, do I need to run from this wolf, or is is this the ideal time to be sending whatever the fucking cells are that you send to your fingernails to make your fingernails grow, whatever? Um, does that make sense to you? Yeah, well, like, that actually, there's a lot of like more reasoning in that like you really hit the nail on the head when it comes to being like in a fight or flight state because you stop digesting okay that's why i think people have a lot of digestive issues because they're always stressed which puts you in a fight or flight and you also the prefrontal cortex your brain the big half in the front just shuts off and you just use your lower portion of the brain so you actually don't that's why standardized testing is really bad because it puts kids in a stressful state and the part Thank of you. their brain that thinks well turns off because they're stressed. Mm -hmm. Dude, it's, it's, it seems so simple to me. <laughs> okay, so so same thing. So there's this wolf here. Yes. Your heart rate's elevated. Your fingernails are not growing. You're, you're not, um, you, your, your poop situation isn't happening. Your stomach's in pain because you're you're not digesting. You're not doing these like slow, calm things that your body's always doing. You notice how when you get a cut in your finger in a couple days it heals? This is your body's always okay. I need to do this. Prioritize this. Oh, it seems to be that there's a cut here. The pain indicates that your body, without you thinking of it, you have listener. Do you remember sitting crisscross applesauce the last time you got a cut and saying, mm, "Please heal my finger"? No, you don't have to. Your body just does it when you're in the right state. Um, so, so backing up this wolf situation, you're in your backyard. This wolf happening. Let's back up a step farther. This wolf is not here. So you're back to where you're in your backyard and you're, you're calm. The wolf thing hasn't happened yet. You just backed up a few. Well, instead of the wolf coming, someone texts you on your phone. And that text says, I hate what you represent. Um, what, what, whoever you think you are, they're coming for it. And they're like, you're an idiot. DJs are total shit they're they spit in the face of musicians jake i hate djs they're crap here's why i just get a text out of nowhere it just says that my heart rate ooh, it's kind of picking up like what what do you mean i am a dj and you're insulting djs which means that you are insulting me the, again the situation there's no wolf still there's no wolf at all your heart rate's picking up and picking up and then i'm i'm twitter finger back to him i'm still in my backyard my heart rate's picking up Let's say I have 15 minutes of like responding. Even if I'm not like mad, I'm not like, fuck you, bro. I'm literally just defending myself. And I'm kind of just, I'm like, ugh, man, I'm glad I got that out. You know, that kind of intense, that, uh, ugh, you gotta, you gotta get this out. Like they don't know about me, so I have to tell them about me. Do you think that that is anywhere near at all the feeling that we're getting people who take 15 minutes to be aggressive? Um, do you think that's anywhere comparable to this wolf approaching you, um, the feeling that we get, the 
let's say just just from our body's perspective of like turning fight or flight on oh it's the same thing your body doesn't know any difference right at all i I, to me this is a profound thing to i think a lot of listeners i think that a lot of people do not realize that just even responding to text reading shitty things on facebook seeing that this person just died 24-hour news all these things they literally keep you locked into this fight or flight situation there's a wolf following you at all times because of the shit that you think you need to fight and the question is are you going to feed it though are you going to feed the wolf so like you can look at all these things and you really just choose to get upset about it like that guy texts you hey man dj suck do you care about that guy if it's a dude you don't really care about well fuck that guy his opinion doesn't matter like you can't let Opinions of people that you don't care about affect you at all. So having more fortitude and allowing what affects you and doesn't is definitely a piece of this. But also just not even looking at it helps as well. Like I would say 80 to 85 percent of social media is probably negative. I mean, even if they're memes, like there's not a lot of positive memes like jokes are pretty derogatory inherently, which is funny. I love jokes. They're great. But memes too. memes are awesome. But you can't live your whole existence just being a meme. You I can't think. be a meme lord, you know. Well, you can be a meme lord, but it's probably not good money satisfying. being a meme lord, I guess. Yeah, but the the body doesn't know the difference between you getting in an argument and having a like a stress dump, or you mm-hmm. are about to be eaten. It's the same exact response. Can we talk about the long term effects that, like, it, just in your opinion, like, take a look at, like, yes, like, let's say we have two people. This is just the most simple experiment ever. This person is in a fight or flight response because they get notifications every 15 minutes and it's enough for them to respond or they watch the news or something corner of their eye every 15 to 20 minutes. Um, it keeps them in. So, person on the left, blue person, is their fight or flight because they're getting a lot of notifications. Person on the right, red person, over the course of 15 years. They both grow up. One person gets notifications and has Facebook. One person doesn't. Their health over the course of 15 years of, let's say in this analogy, every waking hour, their fight or flight is turned on. They're connected to social media because they have notifications from their phone and they're fairly popular in the situation. Okay. 15 years. So stress management has been my utmost important thing in training people and helping people. So this is going to be, I'm glad you asked. So let's, in this hypothetical situation, let's say that this person on social media, this is an, a massive stressor, because I'm assuming that some people it's not, so I'm just going to act like that's not a thing mm-hmm. for this. So what happens when you get stressed? Your body's not in a state of healing. So sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, action, you have the pit of adrenaline in your body, uh, ignoring functions like digestion and healing and recovering. So you're inherently going to have more gut issues. I think that's a big part of it. When your cortisol is high, you have a higher insulin sen- or insulin insensitivity. So your cells reject, like your muscle cells and your liver cells reject insulin, which carries nutrients to places, and then they just get backlog and they will put on body fat. So this person is going to hold more body fat, be less healthy, their respiration rate, so the rate that they're breathing is going to be faster than others, which is going to cause like knots and a lot of uh, tension in their upper chest and upper back. I read a study that uh, our respiration rates have increased in the last 300 years by like double because people are more stressed. So people are breathing twice as much 
Dude, that's huge. I mean, that's that, that that's a huge thing. Which, that means so much. Which is super indicative of really poor breathing habits, which can cause a lot of knots in your upper back and in your mid-back. I've actually seen people, when they do a lot of breath work and learn how to breathe correctly through their diaphragm, they stop having knots. Like all their adhesions in their back that they always get and all this neck pain just kind of goes away and their posture gets better. The, this person is going to be more than likely more rational because they're always living in this state of being hyper aroused, which doesn't allow for a lot of like inductive and deductive reasoning because the front part of their brain that does reasoning just isn't really ever on because they're always in fight or flight mode. Is this the same part of your brain that when you drink too much alcohol turns off? Um, no, I don't know. I think it is. Or is it the hippocampus that? Uh, it, uh, it turns your hippocampus off because that's what records memory, but it also uh, increases uh, your emotional output, which I don't know what side of the brain that is, but that's what alcohol does to you. All right. It's weird to just see. I see a little connection in the way that... Be, that. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, sleep. So cortisol is a master stress hormone, and a little bit's good. You need it to wake up. It helps mobilize fatty acids, so you do need it, but having it always around is really detrimental. Excuse me, because um, it's really going to affect your sleep. Because you need to get into a parasympathetic state to sleep. Sleep, sleep seems to be like the. It's something for me that I always I knew it was like I do to sleep. And this is always repeated in a lot of podcasts too. Is like sleep is, like yeah I know, but like you you always kind of seem to like sleep is something that I'm going to work on later in my life. You know, sleep is the master key to life because in order to actually fight cortisol and are really hyper because we don't live the world now is not how our bodies are designed to navigate there's too many things it's too hyper stress you have too much stuff to do so you already are at a higher propensity for having really high stress levels and sleep is the best way to mitigate these things sadly it's really hard to sleep when you're stressed because you've got a lot of cortisol and it's an arousing chemical so how do we combat this meditation breath work eating quality meals. So here's a fun fact. When people get really stressed out, uh, they tend to binge on carbohydrates. Like, oh, let's go eat ice cream. So carbohydrates are a way for your body to naturally deal with or counterbalance cortisol. So that's why I'm not super into no carb. And I also think you should eat some carbs before bed because it will help you sleep. This is what I mean when I say your intelligence will turn against you. I say that phrase often. Um, like y y your body's trying to help you out. He's trying to get it for you, you know, like, oh, I know that this substance is in carbs, so I'm going to eat carbs. But it's like, but we find the justification of, oh, why do I want carbs? It's because of this. Actually, this is what I like. This is my interests or whatever it is. This quirky meme. Oh, I'm eating ice cream. I'm sad. Team Nutella. Yeah. But it's not good to just binge on food because you're stressed, though. You got to look at why you're stressed in the first place. Right. Like, this is just a product of this. Like, you need to figure out why this is happening and maybe change. Or even if it's something you can't control, find a way to mitigate this because the quickest way you're going to die is to be really stressed out. You get Alzheimer's from not sleeping, high cortisol, which is essentially plaque builds up in your brain, and then it stops functioning really well, which sleep actually flushes a lot of that out. And the problem is when you're really stressed out, you can't sleep. So... I would go on a limb and say stress is the number one killer because it increases heart rate, lack of sleep. You don't eat as well. You don't eat as much. So, so a lot of times I get hung up when when I'm um, like when I'm doing like a little bit of individual work with people. A huge thing that's that 
doesn't seem to click and it didn't click a lot for me is um, a lot of people be like, dude, yeah, I know this. I'm stressed and I can't sleep. Like me, I'd be like, yeah, dude, of course I can't sleep because I have nightmares and I don't want to sleep. And then I feel shitty waking up and blah, blah. I have all these things of um, like, I didn't realize it, but I was in the victim. Um, I was like, it's like these things are happening to me and I think I can do nothing about them. And you would say, I would say phrases like, uh, like I've tried whatever, I've tried whatever. But it's like, then now that I actually have spent so much time really trying the breath work, not just using it for when I am anxious, but like doing it every morning for a month or doing it every morning for, for this week or um, doing breath work right before bed or um, uh, doing yoga and stretches for five minutes before bed. Like, do, like doing these things and making sure you're really doing them um, for a long extended period of time, you realize that um, if, if you're lucky enough to form the habit, you know, you can, you realize that, okay, I am actually sleeping better. Oh, and you have these little tools to actually navigate. So I, I think that a lot of people do, they don't realize it, but they get stuck in the victim part of, I do feel these things. Yeah. It must be easy for you to say dummy because I would love to just sleep a good night. Yeah. That'd just be nice if it was as easy as that. Yeah, bro. I tried that. Um, a lot of people will, will tell me, Oh, I tried that. And realistically, it's like, give me the honest truth. Have you tried it more than once or twice? Because I think that people really need to, to not be so instant about like, you can't take a pill and just not be stressed and your whole world is perfect and you get a wonderful night's sleep. Um, you know, maybe you can, but what's the long-term effects of that? I think we need to look at our healing and like, how do I make my sleep not better this week as I'm 27, some 28, whatever. We need to look at how do I overall improve my health? Like, how do I change the way that I long-term do things? How do I make it to where I can do breath work for the rest of my life and get good sleep? These things. I, I, and I think that it's important. I think that just not staying stuck in that I've, uh, I can't do it. I, I know these things and I would love for that, man, but I'm where I'm at. I think just knowing that you can change and knowing that step by step, these things, there is ways. You said something to me I thought was really funny. It's very short, quippy. That's a nice excuse, bro. And I just thought that was so funny because I can't remember what I was going to do, but you're like, hey, man, you should do this. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't really know if I have time. You're like, that's a cool excuse. I'm like, damn, you're right. You're- I think about that all the time now. I, I couldn't say that to everybody. You're a very receiving friend. Like we, we have this, like we know each other's bullshit and we know that the real you and I, Spencer, like we know that we want the best for each other. We know like we want to be these, these big versions of ourselves, not the lower conscious, like just eating fucking ruffles all day, you know? So like when I'm able to say, nice excuse, bro, you were able to say, damn it, you're right. Thanks like immediately you're like it caught you and i'm sure you're, wherever you were at your shoulders probably lowered and you're like oh son of a bitch i thought it was funny yeah but it was it was very valid and i think i mean the problem is oh yeah i try to sleep good well yeah everyone tries to sleep good i mean you can't just decide oh i'm gonna go to bed one hour earlier and that's gonna solve the problem like sleep is a very highly complicated thing and there's a lot of shit in your life that's making it not function very well and you should probably start weeding things out and the phone is a, sh- a shit for sleep because the blue light from it keeps you up. So blue light exposure, it comes from the sun usually. And we didn't have artificial light when we were evolving. So when you, your eyes see blue light, they're like, okay, the sun's out. So we're awake surviving. Mm-hmm. It emits that. So people like to sit on social media for like an hour and a half before they go to bed or just like sit and do nothing and look at their phone before they sleep like screen time is not inherently very good i found myself multiple times where you're just dreading waking up the next day so you just will sit for a couple hours and look at your phone to prolong Mm -hmm. the 
the time travel that is sleep to tomorrow because you don't want to do it. And just deciding, it's like, man, tomorrow's going to happen. I should probably go to bed. That was helpful. Right. Turning half of all the lights off in your house, three, uh, two to three hours where you go to bed, really helpful. Uh, four, seven, eight breath tempo right, right before bed. So four seconds in, hold for seven, out for eight. Should help you sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, no caffeine past noon or at least eight hours before you go to bed. This is something I always stick a pin in because... It was another thing that I was I wasn't honest with myself about is the caffeine thing. I was like, no, I need caffeine because I work this and I'm a DJ and I stay up these hours and I don't need sleep and blah blah. blah. And I would have three monsters a day and I'm like, well, I need this because then I'm going to get headaches. And then I need this pre-workout or I can't work out. All these excuses, but just feels good caf- to be buzzed, dude. dude caffeine. Th- there is a way. Like like I went from that to to for a while I was just zero caffeine. Like I and I didn't die. My head didn't explode. I felt uncomfortable for a few days and I had a headache. But I just, I just bitched right through it. So yeah, when I was really depressed and anxious, I didn't drink caffeine for five months, and nothing changed. Like my life, it actually I had more steady energy. But the reason that I like caffeine is I just like the, I just like the stimulant feeling. It's not that I need right. to be awake. I just like to be extra awake. So and then I will find myself at like seven. I'm like, damn, I would love an energy drink because it would <laughs> feel great. But I'm trying to sleep tonight. So caffeine's got a half-life of six hours, so that means at hour six, half of it's still in your system, and that compounds. So if you drink 300 milligrams at 12, at six, there'll be 150, at 12, there'll be 75. But if you drink multiple doses of caffeine, so if you drink 300 to 12 and 300 to four, like you now just have, there's like a lot of it floating around in your system, and it binds to a receptor, the adenosine receptor in your brain, which blocks another thing. I think it's it's not GABA, but it's it's a molecule that uh, goes to the same thing that tells you to go to bed, and that's why it keeps you awake. So it just actually mm. blocks your ability to sleep deeply. So, so okay, so think about okay, fight with me on this. Say that you were talking to me. I'm I'm arguing. I'm a caffeine guy. Um, this is something I would also say even further is I'm the kind of guy. Monsters don't affect me. I could have one on my bedside. I can lean over, take a drink, and go back to bed. No big deal. What would you have to say about that? Well, just because you are sleeping doesn't mean it's good sleep at all. I mean, yeah, it's just not good necessarily. And so after about two weeks, the caffeine high, you'll stop having it. But the awakeness of it, like that binding to that receptor of that molecule, is always the same amount of potency. So caffeine will always make you the same amount of awake. It just won't make you the same amount of stimulated. That's why it just always kind of works. And so you're even kind of if just you're having it to not have a headache, yeah, and if you're if you're really tolerant to it, it's still having that effect on you, whether you like it or not. And just, not all sleep is good sleep either. You like this? I think sleep and the morning should be the most ritualized part of your life. I'm with you on that. Yes. Elaborate more on that. What What do you mean, like sleep, sleep and morning? How are they correlated? Well. The morning is just a good preparation for the day and it gets you in a good mindset and not looking at social media is a big part of that. Instead, what I do, wake up, brush my teeth because the movement helps me wake up, drink a glass of water with some salt in it, get in the shower, bathe, take a cold shower for two minutes, and then do breath work because those two things, they stimulate adrenaline and norepinephrine act. It's the same thing. They wake you up without caffeine. So I don't actually need to drink caffeine in the morning because of it. Get out, meditate, journal, and then I eat. 
what's your what's your mental what what are you what's your thought structure like when you're in the shower so so for me a huge thing is i'm always like it doesn't matter if i'm in a whining mood it doesn't doesn't matter if i'm sick um when i turn turn the nozzle to cold this is my affirmations of like jake you're a good man you're a strong man you can do this who are you like that it's my like tony robbins two minute moment four five minute moment you know because i do I um I, I do my regular shower and then have my like, two to five minutes afterwards just as well. Um, wh- what are, what's your mind like during this? Because it, inevitably, what you want to do is like, oh my god, it's cool, and you want to clench up and you want to take that big. <gasps> but what you you know you, you want to be telling your mind like, don't don't take that big big breath. Just remain calm. Keep your shoulders relaxed. You want to be telling yourself good thoughts too. What do you say, Spencer? Uh, well, first off, this is cold. And uh, suck it up, buttercup. It's just like how, you know, you got to lift some days and you don't want to. It's like, mm-hmm. man, suck it up, bitch. This is what you do. Mm-hmm. Come so, on, lady. Yeah, you uh, you flip that to cold. And I'll just try to focus on the actual sensation of it on my skin rather than I'm cold. And that helps a lot. The sensation yeah. instead of instead of feeling like this is cold, I know what cold is. Saying like, what is the feeling of cold, right? Yeah, like it's that? like, well, it's just like meditating. It's so cold that you can't even think about anything else. So instead of feeling like, oh, I'm freezing, I want to get out, I just like try to only focus on my actual bodily experience and not put any mental effort into it and just mm. be stimulated by it. Right. I actually really enjoy taking cold showers. The pipes have been getting cold because it's winter and it's been a little rough, but I do it every single They're morning. Cold. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's something that I have... I've probably been doing for a year and a half. Uh, I mean, at least a year now. Um, and it is, it's something that it, it doesn't even, it just, it's a subconscious thing. I just turn the water to cold at the end of my shower. Like, like there is a couple times where sometimes I'll get out of the shower if I'm like um, not at my home or I'll like take a hotel shower or something and I'll get out and uh, I wouldn't have, it's almost like my body's like, what are you doing? You didn't do the cold thing because I'll forget and I'll honestly get back in and do it cold really quick before drying off if I had forgotten because it's it's an enjoyable thing. So listener, if if it seems kind of crazy and you're like, why would I want to be uncomfortable doing a cold shower? What the, what's the benefit of that in the morning? Um, there's plenty of benefits. You can research those for days and days, but two advocates here, Spencer and I, um, it does get better and it becomes something that you enjoy. And I think that making sure you insert either a present moment, like just feel the water on your skin, uh, concentrate on your breath perhaps, or even like I do sometimes, you know, be that Tony Robbins, be that cheerleader, like, be like, come on, man, you're a beast. What are you going to do today? All right, cool. We're going to tackle it. We're going to kick ass. We're going to smell super good because we just took a shower doing it. Whatever you got to do, just like hype yourself up, be your hype man every morning, you know, and, and see how, think about how your day is going to be, um, who, how you're going to approach your problems with that mindset versus, um, arguing about someone who is the opposite side of the political spectrum than you for, 35 minutes during your morning cup of coffee on Facebook. Just wondering how your day is going to be different. Maybe a little, I would assume. Maybe a little. And then the nighttime, that's just the, this is your time to wind down. I, I had a client, this is a business owner, one of the most high, high stress people I've ever met in my whole life. And I'm like, man, you just gotta, you gotta wind down. Like you can't just go home like this and go to bed. Like if you just will take the time, like 30 minutes and just relax set the phone down just breathe for a while like drink some water enjoy yourself just enjoy doing nothing maybe reflect a little and you're gonna sleep a lot better 
Yeah. I mean, kind of like we talk about in BPAC says the same thing, like just going on a walk is sometimes, you know, like sometimes what's more important than I need to get to bed right the fuck now is instead of getting 30 minutes of, of laying in bed on your phone trying to get tired because you needed to get to bed right now, what if you took 30 minutes of not going to bed, but just winding down and maybe slowly doing the dishes or slowly taking a short walk in your own home by yourself or uh, journaling or something, finding some way to wind down. Spencer, what are some other ways that you find to wind down? Well, I never get really wound up, so I have the gift. I think everybody would say that, though. No, I really am not that wound up, though. Like, I could sleep at basically any moment. I wear a watch that tracks on my sleep and the average sleep latency. So how long it takes you to go to bed is like 20 minutes. Mine's like one to two. Like I, is like, I could just lay down and go to bed whenever I want. It's never been a problem. But after wearing this, I realized that my sleep quality is not super great. Mm. Well, okay. Not even that. I, my quality is good, but I just don't sleep long enough. I'm sleeping less time than I think because I was calculating time in bed as time sleeping. And right. I would spend about an hour in the morning just laying around. And I would spend about just like 30 minutes like laying around, like looking at my phone or whatever. So I was actually getting like one to two hours less sleep than I thought. I think that another thing, adding adding your phone to just your brain's view of your bedroom. Um, I don't really fuck with my phone in the bedroom anymore. Um, it's not a strict, I'm not insane about it. I, I It's not like the phone is never in the bedroom. But um, I pretty much just use that room to sleep. And so I, what in, in my reasoning for that is, is, you know, the thing that I tell myself, I'm like, dude, if you're in this room, you're sleeping. Like if you ain't making the bed or you're not just like saying good morning to Shaylee, whatever it is, you're sleeping. It's like a it's a sanctuary. It's, yeah. And, and I think that, you know, um, I, I, I'm granted that like, I, you know, my, my home here is big enough to where I have plenty of, plenty of other places to do things. But, um, even if you just have a one bedroom apartment, a studio, whatever it is, maybe just make it to where like you make your bed in the morning and just make a rule for yourself like i don't touch my phone in the bed unless i'm, I'm double checking my alarms and then i'm putting it away or whatever um but don't sit on your bed and text don't um like maybe find a chair that if you want to be in your room and text or be on your phone or whatever just try to like do little things like uh, uh it's kind of you know being nice to your brain and trying to maybe even like work in that placebo try it out just be like when i'm in my room I don't touch my phone in my bed. They do not combine. It's just a rule that I have. You just don't make a habit of it. I mean, because yeah. your life is just dictated by habits in general. And if you make a habit to not do that, you won't. I'm going to go out some woo-woo stuff that I just can't empirically prove at all, but I'm pretty sure this affects you. Uh, Wi-Fi signals are uh, radio waves, and your brain works on frequencies, and I don't think it's probably that helpful to have them on when you're sleeping, so unplug your router. Uh, also, your phone um, lets off EMF frequencies which can really affect just your natural circadian rhythm and your output. I've done, I've seen other people do this. This is just like a little gym experiment. You have your phone flat on your skin. And from what I've noticed, I can't prove any of this, is that I have less work output. And BPAC said the same thing. That's actually why I tried this. Like he can, hmm. he can have, he has worse sets if his phone's touching his skin. So if you're going to have it in your bedroom, at least put it on airplane mode. Mm. When maybe that's something that we can all perform, you know, like just sit like, you know, you don't have to just believe it just because we're just some dudes talking about it. Try it out. Maybe try little areas of your life, like whatever other people's version of working out while touching their phone. Like try to try to have an intuitive 10 minute conversation with your phone just in your hand, not looking at it, just hanging by your right side versus your phone not touching you at all. Do sometimes I notice even just the distraction of 
uh, it must be our subconscious, like, oh, I know my phone's over here. Sometimes when I meditate in the morning, I have to chuck my phone all the way across the room, even if I'm using an, an app or something, um, because I don't want, if I do any sort of open eye meditation, I don't want the corner of my eye to catch my phone and try to be like, why Why is a reason why Jake needs to feel dopamine right now? And in, in your brain will we'll find a reason to grab that phone. So uh, so you were talking about he just has sitting on his lap? Yeah, so in his pocket. Oh, and, oh okay, yeah, yeah, right. In his pocket. I just think that we're, well, I know that we're very highly sensitive to a lot of things that we're not aware of because they're not necessarily tangible. And it's probably kind of just like how people are born by power plants. A lot of them will get like terrible cancer or if you're like by a power station. Like these things are emitting some form of energy or frequency and it's probably affecting you. I can't tell you what 100% is, but I would bet my life on it. This is affecting you in some way. Mm-hmm. And it definitely affects sleep for a myriad of reasons. So get an alarm clock. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that that noticing all those little things that well, I, I kind of compare it to um, scent. So it's like I can't see it. You know, it's another one of those things. I, I can't see Bluetooth signals. I can't see Wi-Fi, but it's floating around and it doesn't directly affect me like blah, blah, blah. But think about if you didn't have a nose and people were just farting all around you, you wouldn't know that you're just breathing their fart air, man. Think about that. Poopy air. You're just, like if you, if right now I just shit my pants on this podcast, I just poop, and you're listening, or, or, or you're listening, your nose is listening. If you didn't have a nose, you wouldn't be able to smell it. No, and there's some like toxic gases that are scentless, and that's definitely there, and you don't know it. Don't they put, uh, don't they put, they make the smell of something it's natural gas natural yeah, gas they smell, put like poopy eggs. eggs yeah they could make it's, it smell like strawberries though wow because it's pleasant it seems so, to be really unpleasant so you go away and don't die i feel like you we you know what is what scents do to us we do get offended at scents like when something smells bad you're not like what is that smell you always want to blame it on someone you notice that you're like who's cooking that shit or like oh long or oh the mills or oh like every time you smell something that you don't like, you want to blame someone right away. You notice that? So horrible. <laughs> you can't just be like, well, the scent just changed and this scent is not particularly like the scent that it was before. I'm, I have a very sensitive olfactory system and scents really put me off. So living here is kind of hard. I'm, I'm huge on, I'm huge on scents too. I, I feel like I, I'm just very sensitive to scents. Hmm. You probably just sleep better. I know it's not that easy, but it's the third of your life, and it's the most important recovery time. So, so that, that's a couple of good tips on on sleeping better. I think um, adding blackout curtains, like mine and Shaley's room, is a cave of darkness. It's, it should be the blackout curtains. I think they're like ten dollars at Walmart or something. I think people should prioritize their sleep more. Just like whatever you can do to whatever sleep you are getting, how about that? Just make it the best it can be. You know. Where the where whatever clothes you need to be the, to be the comfiest, um, put your phone in a different place, black out the curtains, uh, spend ten dollars on a fan that has just a little bit of background noise. Um, or when you are making cuts to your life because you don't have enough time to do all your stuff, don't cut sleep. People like to do that. People like they've got okay. So if they have a schedule and it's got room for two blocks, and it's got like work, play, and sleep for three blocks. Uh, well, maybe go to bed. Mm-hmm. It's going to be way more beneficial for you. Right. Like stop like cutting sleep time to do other superfluous things that are definitely not as important. 
Yeah, sometimes I do. I, I have this. I'm like, I'm an artist. I don't want to lose this thought. Like, I'll be like working on some super shitty beat or something late, and I'm convinced that it's super good. And I'm like, I can't go to bed. Blah blah blah. But it's realistically like, if I revisit, revisit it in the morning, I'm gonna have, be way uh, like more more slept, more uh, rounded about the about the subject. Whatever it is that you're working on in the morning after you have some sleep, you're gonna handle it better. You're gonna handle the 30 minutes of being super tired, kind of shitty. But you're going to handle 30 minutes of being well-rested and feeling awake and fruitful. You're going to get more done in that 30 minutes. Sleep's important, Spencer. Just breathe. Just breathe. Breathe from your belly. And I think breathing, uh, we were talking about, um, are we getting up here on time? Uh, I believe so, yeah. I yeah. Like probably so, like 10, 15 minutes. So let's end it with this. Uh, we were talking about something that um, Shaylee was telling me. She had... Uh, she had essentially a patient a while back ago that was uh, had been in the military um, and they were able to slow their heart rate very quickly. They were able to, like, um, as she was taking their heart rate, just slow it down, um, slow their breathing way down. And she was telling me about this. And uh, I, I'm able to do that too now. It's something that I, I wasn't able to do before, I, even though I've been a fitness person for a long time, many years. Um, it's something that I, I don't think that I had the ability to do. I, I had terrible anxiety, all these things. Um, now I can put my hand on my heart if my heart's beating super, super fast and I can take like an eight to 10 second breath out and I could slow my heart rate very quickly. Um, this is something we we're talking about. This is a super good thing. Like th th something that like was a casual conversation between Shaylee and I, but I'm like, oh, this can be taught. I used to not do this. And within the last year, I've learned how to do it. So, um, can, can you expand on this, like how good this is, like not even just for anxiety attacks, but just having this ability to like slow our heart rates? Yeah, it's awesome to do that because you're now less stressed. I mean, deep breaths put you in a parasympathetic nervous state, which is healing, feeding, feeling. It's nice and well, it's just regenerative and it's not where people usually are because they're stressed out. So like snipers will reduce their heart rate or like ninjas would reduce their heart rate to almost like nothing to appear dead. So yes, it's very cool. So uh, short, you can also do it both ways too. Like if you want to get real excited for like a sporting event or like a lift, <laughs> like quick in, quick out, quick in, quick right. out. You want nice, slow pulling inhale and then an even slower exhale. Even hold it for a couple seconds at the top. For like going to bed, four in. Seven hold, eight out is really going to drive you to sleep. I really like that one. There, there's a, a TED Talk actually on this. Um, I don't remember. It's something about search TED Talks and breath. Dude, the breath is the forgotten art. So in Tai Chi, Chi is breath. It's breath energy. Mm -hmm. Like people like to think it's like this metaphysical like magic. It's just the utilization of breath to output more force because they know if they could lock down on their diaphragm and control this breath, they could output more force. So... Right. The ability to control the breath, I mean, it's, it's something you do a lot. You breathe a lot, and mm -hmm. it's just we, it's an autonomic thing, so we don't put a lot of stock into it. It's kind of the first thing you ever did, if you think about it, when you got out the, the vag canal. Out of the womb. You just took a big old breath of air. I just think crying. that if you're trying to solve problems, just keep following it back. Like, what's the problem? What's the problem? When did it start? When did it start? I mean, go all the way back. First thing we did was breath. I'm making connections that don't really exist. But well, nobody taught us how to breathe or focus. Yeah, you just did it. Yeah. In, in, but we live in such a complicated time that now we're actually having to be like, oh, we moved so quickly that we have to like, oh, what, what did we used to do to make sure we're balancing these things? 
it's something that we didn't realize we'd ever have to do probably as a species, but these are things that we need to connect with our more primitive things and learn about them. Um, so breath work is something that it is something that you need to be patient with. It does have instant effects. Like you can do it your first time and have like, wow, I feel calm, but, um, I'm dude, I'm, I'm building, you kind of change the way you breathe. I breathe more from my belly rather than my chest now. And I'm also, um, through like singing stuff, um, my, the muscles around breathing in your throat and they change. There's all these little micro muscles, however that works, um, are changing and strengthening in different ways. Um, I think just continually doing these, like I, I can't imagine the long-term effects of, of continuing all this breath work. I think it's just going to be great for inflammation, for all these things. Um, I did Wim Hof breathing method, uh, before I ran like three miles the other day. And it was, I, I was, I was pretty far into it before I started feeling as if I needed to, um, take deeper breaths. Like I was able to, I did Wim Hof breathing and pretty much like stood up and got my, like obviously mental clarity and made sure I wasn't going to like faint or anything and just started running. And I was able to run for quite a while in like just a normal, just in and out on an even in and out breath until I had to start like, okay, I'm getting more tired. I need to extend my breath or change it up. But, I will say if you want to calm down, Wim Hof breathing is not the go-to. Oh yeah. Actually. No, yeah. Yeah. That's a very excitatory breath work or like fire, yes. like fire breathing is, or like dragon's breath is mm -hmm. another technique. Excitatory. Yes. Like you use I it agree. to wake up. You don't use that to go down. Yeah. And, and first timers who haven't done any breath work, don't go, don't do Wim Hof breathing and then go for a run. That's dumb. Just, well, you might pass out. So just like sit. Yeah. But, but it is a cool thing. Eventually, like I said, I've been doing it for a while and it's things that I've like looked into. It's, it's cool. It's fun. It's enjoyable. Yeah, later but see, on. this it's is better. a good example though, because you can do this, get really excited, perform really well, but you could also use breath to go to sleep. Like this mm -hmm. is just being able, this is the ultimate tool in the toolbox that's free and it, it's not that hard. You just Dude. must. And also people breathe poorly and they use their upper trap and neck muscles to pull their ribs up out of the way of their lungs and it causes neck tension. So most sure. of people's knots are from breathing poorly. And if they would start to breathe better, their posture and pain would go away. Right. Okay. And then do, one thing I do want to end on, because I, did I tell you that I did the uh, deprivation tank? I texted you, I think. No, you did not tell me that. I did. I did the sensory deprivation tank. We'll end here because we got to get going here. But uh, when it comes to neck, I actually had it my first time. Um, there's a place called Forever Float in Longview. Um, yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, the gentleman, um, I think his name was Dave. I'll have to recall that correctly. But he was very nice. He was very, he told us all about it. Um, it was a very comfortable and clean place. Essentially, you lay in, in a tank of water that the, uh, the, the salt makes the water and you equally buoyant. That didn't make sense. You're floating in the water because it's salt water and it equals out with your body. It's the same temperature as your body. Um, so and it, it's dark. And essentially you're, you're floating there and you're able to relax. And obviously I was like focusing on my breath and trying to, to meditate. And after a bit, I started noticing pops in the back of my neck. I was actually releasing tension in my neck that I didn't know I was holding. So over time, like, um, you're in here for an hour and I would feel more and more. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, get, these are things that I didn't, you can't release when your head's against a pillow because you don't realize you're holding these little micro muscles. And so I think that Anyway, I, I just wanted to mention the sensory deprivation tank. We can go more in depth on it later on in life, but uh, it's definitely a good thing for, for neck pain and um, breath work is definitely a good thing for, I don't know, everything. Yes. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Take care of yourself. I hope you guys benefit from uh, the advice that Spencer and I give. If you have any questions, um, I'm just going to suggest that if you go over to YouTube and comment that we will uh, try to respond or try to have our next conversation around about them because we just we just want to have these conversations to 
really expand on the little details that, that can help people and in find areas that we have had success in um, and, and relay them and explain them to people. And so, so not everybody has to make the same mistakes that we make. So take care of yourself, listener. Bye-bye. Bye.